morning and welcome to Jay's Talk Plus. Glad you could join us today. I'm Ben Schulman. She is Julia Kreutz filling in this week for Blake Murphy for all of your all-star festivities. Happy Home Run Derby Day. Should be a lot of fun today. Have some great guests coming up. Ricky Romero coming on the show later. Shai Davidi coming on the show later. We also want to hear from you. Make sure you text 590-590 and we'll try to get to some of your thoughts and some of your questions. But before we get into it, Julia, first of all, happy birthday. Oh, thank you very much. How uh, are you a, doing? How's your birthday? It's a pleasure to be here, honestly. Um, wouldn't want to spend it in any other way. Love doing radio. Love doing it with you, Ben. It's been such a fun time when we get to do this together. And so really, really happy to be here. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a couple months now. We were doing yeah. it a lot in spring training That's when right. the biggest Blue Jay questions were Otto Lopez versus Nathan Lucas should Jose Barrio spend time at the WBC? Some different questions we're asking now, and Certainly. we're going to get to some of that coming up this week. But today we want to spend a lot of time on the All-Star break, on the draft that you were working on yesterday. Right. A whole lot going on, despite the fact we don't have games coming up this week. It, it is a busy week in Blue Jay land. Yeah, the, the, I, I think that the All-Star week, the way that the league has organized it and moving the draft, right, from June to July and, and, and really making this a, a can't-miss week for baseball fans, that adds to the allure of, uh, of the week and of the sport itself. You know, if you're a baseball fan, even though there aren't games happening, this is the time to, to be glued to your TV, right? We saw uh, the anticipation for the draft and how deep this draft class was. I'm sure we're going to talk about that too. And it's, you really can't miss so and, and it will continue today with the home run derby which uh, to me is one of the best parts of the all-star game the move of the draft was awesome for you know college scheduling purposes the draft in season a little bit awkward compared to the other sports but at least to have it while games aren't going on a lot of fun shy davidi is there of sportsnet we'll have him on in the second hour of the show but the home run derby you mentioned coming up today i kind of want to start with i think the biggest question is the home run derby the best part of the all-star festivities is it your favorite part of the all-star break i will answer your question with a question okay is the slam dunk contest the best part of the nba all-star weekend i think it definitely used to be <laughs> <laughs> i think these days it's you know there's some and i love the g league i, I work with the raptors right 905 but there's some g league guys mixed in these days they they don't necessarily draw in all the stars but I would say even going back a couple years ago, like when Aaron Gordon and Zach Levine put on quite right. the show in Toronto, I, the the slam dunk contest, I would have for sure ahead of the NBA yeah. All-Star game. I might have the three-point competition, frankly, a little bit ahead of the yeah. All-Star game. But I am in the camp of both slam dunk and the home run derby being the best parts of their respective All-Star break. Right. I will agree with that. Uh, although I will say... <laughs> that the celebrity softball game true. is also a highlight. I know that we are not watching professional ballplayers uh, do their thing in, in any way, shape, or form, but it has become sort of an attraction of its own, right? You see Brian Cranston last year arguing with the ump uh, and, uh, you know, brushing dust off, of, brushing a clay off of, a, off of home plate, and, and that instantly becomes you know, an iconic moment, something that casual fans as well as diehard baseball fans can turn to and be like, this was 
pretty amazing or Jojo Siwa hitting an inside the park <laughs> home run and just breaking the internet, right? You sort of bring in TikTok fans and, 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 and people who don't necessarily follow baseball to the game. And I would say that that is a huge win for the sport when you have something like that. And so it has been very fun to watch that grow into what it is today. But yeah, when we're talking about, you know, pro players, um, sort of showing off their talent, I would say that the Home Run Derby is the best part of the of the All-Star break, especially when you have a guy like Vladimir Guerrero Jr. or Pete Alonso, right? Guys who put on a show, guys who get into it and, and, and you can see how much it means to them. Uh, that to me is really, really special. And they go hard. They're not, really? uh, they're not pulling punches at all. Yeah. No, these guys go all out during the home run derby. I think we saw it in 2019. Again, this is Jay's Talk Plus going from 10 to noon today. I'm Ben Schulman. She's Julia Kreutz. Jeff Azapari, Lance Kennedy, Jennifer Rolnick behind the scenes. Let's get right into it with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Obviously, in this country, that's the guy to watch absolutely in the home run derby. He's been wearing the 91 shirt for a couple weeks now. He's getting geared up. What are you expecting? What are you looking for from Vladdy in this home run derby? A show. Right. I think that simply put, that's Vladdy. That's what he brings to the table. He's a showman. He's a guy that really, really enjoys what he does. And he will let you know. I, I think we all saw it a couple of years ago when he participated in the Derby, which is still one of the greatest injustices <laughs> of our time in baseball that he didn't uh, come away with the win, even though, you know, he, he broke records and, and all of that stuff. First of all, you could see how much it meant to him to to be there and to sort of represent not only the Blue Jays, but also his roots, his heritage, where he comes from. And the the pure joy, right, of kid, of hitting dingers and uh, and moving on and, and, and bringing out that competitive side, having John Schneider, who was not his manager then, but who is his manager now, also tossing to him, that's a really special moment and it really sort of uh, shows the, the type of relationship that these two have built coming up together in the minor leagues. You know, Schneider managed Vladdy and other guys on this Blue Jays team coming up through the minors. And it's, it's very interesting and honestly heartwarming to see that the relationship is still there, right? Sure. There's very much a, a, a camaraderie that, that exists in that clubhouse because this is a manager that came up with them uh, through the minors as well. And the fact that Schneider said, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to go and I'm going to throw uh, in, in the derby to, to Vlad again, even though his responsibilities right now are a lot different than they were two years ago. That tells you everything you need to know too uh, about Schneider's relationship, about Schneider's uh, demeanor towards uh, this team and, and what it means to him. So that's, uh, that's definitely something to watch for me. I do think that that is a very special connection and then just look for Vladdy to uh, hit a lot of home runs. Maybe not look so good while doing it. Because <laughs> we all saw how, uh, how tired he was after, after a couple of rounds uh, a couple years ago. But it will for sure be fun. I'm very interested, Ben, in, 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 uh, interested in getting your opinion as well, in uh, how he matches up against Mookie Betts, his it's, round one uh, rival there. It's an interesting matchup. And you mentioned Vladdy getting tired. And one of the things I think of when I go back to that original home run derby he was in, the first time that he had featured in an all-star week, 
that was a setup where there was a timeout in the middle, but because of fatigue, Vladdy kind of would just take another timeout, let some seconds run off the clock, and he still hit that record 91 homers. He goes up against a very opposite guy to him in many ways. I mean, I don't think that stamina is going to necessarily be the issue for Mookie Betts in a lot of these cases, but at the same time, the raw power is completely different. Mookie hits more home runs than I think people realize because he does so many things on the field. But he's, you know, they have all sorts of bets that you can put on games tonight. Mookie's not heavily favored in the longest home run or anything like that. He's probably looking to sneak them more over. And I wonder if that gets Vladdy a little bit more strategic with how he uses his energy. Because like you said, with the injustice with Pete Alonso, Pete won not by hitting record numbers of home runs each round, but by just beating his opponents and having enough energy to outlast Guerrero in the final. That's that's a fascinating point. I, I I do agree with you. Even I did a, a little bit of a double take when I saw that Mookie was going to the Derby, and then I looked at the numbers and uh, just you know, kind of kicked myself. Of course, he's going to the Derby, right? This is a guy that has the ability to hit uh, forty home runs a year. He is. Um, he's probably not going to do it every year because, like you said, he does so many other things, and his hitting can be a little bit more situational maybe than uh, than we realize. And that's going to play uh, a factor here, too. How is Vladdy going to approach that first round? Is he going to go full throttle all the way, as we know that he can? Or is this going to uh, feature a little bit more strategy, a little bit more um, energy parsing out for, uh, for, for Vladdy? This, that, that will be something to watch for sure. Uh, as for the odds, Ben, I'm not uh, super well versed in that uh, in that universe, but uh, I'd be curious to to see who is a favorite to win right now. Is it Pete Alonso? It is Pete Alonso. Where do you think Vladdy ranks? Number three, I'd say. Vladdy is ranked number two by the majority oh. of of Vegas books. I don't have a quote on all of them, but a lot of them go Pete Alonso, Vladdy, Luis Robert, all right, and then. Julio Rodriguez, who is last year's champion. I mean, he took down Pete Alonso. He's in his own ballpark. I do wonder, we're going to make kind of our bracket picks coming up mm. in the second hour of the show. I do wonder if people are sleeping a little bit on Julio Rodriguez, despite him being the yeah. defending champion, because Pete and Vlad and Robert get so much attention. But I will say this, Robert at number three ahead of Vlad also sort of surprises me because he has been on an absolute tear of late. Yeah. It's been really, really fun to watch Luis Robert play baseball. And and I do think that, you know, this is his first all-star nod. He is uh, coming in maybe with a little bit to prove, playing for the White Sox, and especially with a, 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 on a team that has Tim Anderson, who has gotten so much attention over recent years. I wonder if Robert has a little bit to prove here, right? If he wants to put himself sort of uh, on the map, on the, the national map uh, uh, for baseball fans. So I wouldn't sleep on him either. Yeah, I think he, certainly for longest home run, I would put him right up there with everyone else. Just to circle back on Mookie, you were mentioning his power. 26 homers this season for Mookie Betts. He hit 35 last year, which is more than Vlad hit last year when he hit 32. So Mookie also the leader in the National League in slugging percentage, and he's not having one of those 300 years. It's It's a below 300 average season, but he is just hitting for a lot of power. Let's keep the focus on Vlad a little bit, though, and then we'll get back to some more home run derby, sure. home run focus stuff. Obviously, you know, the microscope has been on Vlad 
pretty much the entire season. And for good reason, his numbers in multiple different categories are either kind of at the same as last year. He's hitting 274. He hit 274 last year, or even a little bit below his slugging percentage, 47 or 37 points, pardon me, below it was last year. OPS below 800, which we haven't seen from Vlad since the 2020 season. But it looks like some things are coming around. What have you seen from Vlad last couple weeks as we headed into the break? It has been a, a bit different, I think, Ben, over these past couple of weeks. Uh, we have seen a lot of struggle. We have seen a lot of ground balls. Really, Vladdy has been hitting ground balls at sort of a, a record pace here, and it's a, not a good thing, right? So he was just smoking those uh, singles and hitting them so hard, in fact, that he couldn't even turn it into a double, right? Because the ball was on the ground. So that has been an issue. That said, he's still, he he has been leading the Blue Jays in RBIs for basically uh, all season, right? Bo Bichette sort of stepped in a little bit uh, in the in the middle months there of that first half. But Vladdy has been very productive at the plate. Like you said, his numbers are... are good they're not elite but they're good and they're keeping the blue jays competitive but he has the potential to be the guy and he knows that that can lead him to force the issue sometimes i think we've seen that too him trying to be the hero trying to break the blue jays out of a slump all on his own and when you put that sort of pressure on yourself that is when you make those mistakes that is when you're ahead of the ball that is when you know your swing is not completely well timed your lower body and your upper body are not in sync and that's something that John Schneider has alluded to uh, so they're working with Vlad really and he's aware of all of this and he's putting in the effort but to mechanically have him more sound on his swing. So actually syncing up the lower body and the upper body as a way to sort of tap into that raw power that he has and as a way to sort of adjust that launch angle, which has been the big issue for him, right? Last year and this year as well. And then with all of that comes sort of the X, the X factor that, uh, that Vladdy brings, so he is the guy that can tie a game with a home run or that can win a game with a home run. And he did so over these past couple of weeks of the season. He sort of uh, retrieved that, um, that part of his character that is, you know what, I am going to be the guy to put this team on my back and to win some games. But first, he needed to make maybe those mechanical adjustments and honestly, those mental adjustments too. But with every clutch hit he gets, he gets a little bit closer to being the Vlad that we saw in 2021. You look at the last 15 games, so just over two weeks headed into the All-Star break. He had an 881 OPS. For all the talk about the homers, he hit four homers in that stretch. Two against Oakland, hit one against San Francisco, and then that game-leading home run that turned the game against the White Sox in the opener of that series. There are definitely some good signs. Like you mentioned the launch angle. His launch angle is better this year than last year. It doesn't always look like it when we're watching. There are still a lot of ground balls to short. But his launch angle is the second best it's been in his career, the second highest. It's the second lowest ground ball rate of his career. An interesting thing, though, he's using the opposite field less this year than he has in any previous season. And sometimes where some of the batted ball stats can let you down is they don't tell you the direction that a guy hits the ball all the time. You might have a great expected batting average, but if you hit it dead straight, the center fielder is going to catch it. It does feel a little bit like Vladdy 
it's hard to say this because you want to hit the ball right up the middle, but he's hitting it too straight sometimes and right at the center fielder a lot of the time when he gets into a ball. And he has the tendency to hit those, as uh, Ben Wagner would say, frozen ropes, right? Balls yeah. that don't necessarily have the uh, the highest launch angle. They're very well hit. And if he gets it just over the head or the glove of a center fielder, then it's it's out of the park. But the the problem is finding that sweet spot. Vladdy is very good at uh, just launching those lasers that feel like they're never going to drop, but they never really take, you know, a, a, a lot of height. And so if you're hitting it to the the wrong part of the of the diamond yes you're going to it's going to turn into an out and that's also a little bit of bad luck right ben it's uh it's that inch that it, that is off or that has been off more often than not this year for for vlad still overall very very good numbers but uh, we know that he can do more he knows that that he can do more and uh, he is actively working on getting that back and maybe this break, although he is at the All-Star Game and will play there, uh, a good time for him to get stuff worked out a little bit before he goes to face some teams, too, that haven't seen him a lot, which could work in his favor with a big run of National League teams and West Coast teams coming up after the All-Star break. Let's get back to the home run derby, though. I know, I know Vlad, with his 91, pretty much for everyone here, is going to be the most memorable home run derby performance when you look back, are there are there home run derbies though in in other years or other guys that really stick out to you? It could be last year with Julio Rodriguez, it could be Pete Alonso, or we could go way back as well. Is there a, a time where you really remember getting hooked on the derby? Yeah, it was uh, Pete Alonso, his first win. I think that that was to me. Was that at Coors? I, I don't know. That was the year prior. Yes, right? that was yeah. The Coors was the was the the repeat against Vladdy, but. I do think that, you know, just the uh, the sheer joy that, that the Home Run Derby brings is so cool. And to me, 2020, uh, Pete Alonso was the, the entry point for me. Like, he was so young. If I'm not mistaken, he was a rookie or he was entering his second year in the league then. Yeah, I think he might have been a, a rookie when he was, uh, you know, when he went on his huge charge to lead. <laughs> or 2019, yeah, he leads the majors in homers with 53. Yeah, there you go. And, and and that, to me, sort of, yeah, he plays for the Mets, so he's always gotten some attention even before he uh, he came into the majors. But for me, that was a moment that Alonzo sort of showed what he would be capable of. And I don't know. it. Uh, that, to me, was one of the most memorable moments of uh, of recent history. Of course, we also have, you know, Bryce Harper, when he oh, was yeah. still a member of the Nationals, in Washington, uh, winning it and, uh, you know, really being fired up in the crowd sort of taking over uh, that moment as well. That was iconic. You cannot talk about uh, uh, Vladdy's 91 homers. That was that was big, too. But, you know, even going a little farther back, there are there are others. And I would be very interested to hear from our listeners as well if they want to text us here. For sure. Very, very curious to hear from you guys. You know, what? Uh, what's your uh, most iconic home run derby moment? Yeah, 590-590 is the number to text, get your thoughts in. For me, I, I really have to go back, I think, to 2008. I, I'm pretty young at that time, and this is when I really get hooked on the derby. Justin Morneau is in the derby, and that's a big reason to bring me in, and he wins. But one of my favorite players at the time, Josh Hamilton, set a record. He hit 
28 home runs in the first round, which at that time blew everyone out of the water. No one else hit 10 home runs in the first round. It's kind of a Vladdy situation where he hits the most homers by more than 10 in the whole derby, but doesn't end up winning. That was the last year at Yankee Stadium, old Yankee Stadium in 2008. So that was a big one, but there was stuff for everyone. Hamilton broke a record, and then a Canadian Morneau right. ended up winning the whole thing. And what a way to uh, sort of start off, right, the, uh, yeah. the, the, the derby with uh, 28 homers, uh, obviously record-breaking, and setting the tone for the, the rest of the competition. I will say, though, that when we talk about Vlad's 91 and Hamilton's 28, it's probably <laughs> a similar situation, yeah. right? How are you going to expend your energy? How are you going to manage everything that comes into uh, competing in a derby? So fascinating stuff, and, 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 and that's what we're going to look forward to. And I hope, honestly, that we get as exciting a start as we saw from Josh Hamilton in 2008. That would be awesome if, if like, Randy Arena hits 40 home runs in the first round or something like that. I'm Ben Schulman. She's Julia Kreutz, Jeff Azapardi, Lance Kennedy, Jennifer Rolnick with you as well. This is Jay's Talk Plus. We're headed toward noon, 10 to noon today. Home runs, I feel like, you know, they're a big part of the game, but the Blue Jays, typically feel like they've been a home run hitting franchise for the majority of their career. And there are so many big home runs that mark right. different periods of time. <laughs> Let's take a look at some of the biggest home runs. Absolutely. And I think some of them you might be thinking of in the car or listening on the Sportsnet app, but th there's one place we have to start. And I don't think yes. it's going to be, you know, our longest discussion of any of these home runs, but maybe the biggest home run in major league baseball history there is definitely an argument. Joe Carter in 1993. We have some audio on it. So here, take a listen. Here's Joe Carter walking off the World Series with a home run for the Blue Jays over the Phillies. Joe has had his moments trying to lay off that ball low to the outside part of the plate, and he just went after one. Two balls and two strikes on it. Here's the pitch on the way. A swing and a belt. Left field. Way back. Blue Jays win it. The Blue Jays are World Series champions. As Joe Carter hits a three-run home run in the ninth inning. And the Blue Jays have repeated as World Series champions. Touch them all, Joe. You'll never hit a bigger home run in your life. A call nearly as great as the home run Seriously. itself, the great Tom Cheek, uh, and that courtesy of Sportsnet 590, the fan. It would be hard for me, you know, I know south of the border, a lot of people talk about Kirk Gibson. Mm -hmm. He hit a, a walk-off home run for the Dodgers, but that was in game one of yeah. the World Series. When we're talking about walk-off homers to win a World Series, I mean, that's obviously the biggest home run in Blue Jays history. Yes, I would say so. And I think it really contends for all of baseball history. Yeah, 100%. And yes, the, the Gibson homer was uh, phenomenal. And I also think that the call makes such a big difference, right? And the uh, sort of the magnitude that, that we give to, to certain homers or to certain moments, there are, there are home runs that just feel a lot bigger or more impactful or emotional, really. And even though they are 
you know, deterministically they are. But when you put everything together, the environment and the call of the game, that is what makes it sort of legendary and iconic. And I would put uh, the Gibson home run in that category for sure. Uh, That said, this is it, right? There is no bigger moment in baseball. And so whether that's, you know, a, a bias or or whether that's just an oversight, I would say that uh, this the Carter home run in 93 deserves maybe more credit or, um, I don't know, more love than, uh, than, it, than it gets outside of Canada. Yeah. Is what it is. You know, that's baseball, 29 in the States and one team <laughs> in Canada. But, you know, maybe the shot heard around the world, Bill Mazeroski, both get involved there. But let's... Let's keep going with environment and situation because I think in 2015, there was no crazier environment than this one. Blue Jays go down 2-0 in the series to the Texas Rangers. Big home run by Troy Tulowitzki in that series in Texas. They end up tying it up, coming back to Toronto. Shinsu Chu's bat inadvertently strikes the throwback of Russell Martin to score a run for the Rangers. They're on top. And then the Blue Jays do tie it up before this, before Jose Bautista unleashes probably the most notable bat flip that you have heard in a long time. Kicks the 1-1 pitch. Fly ball deep left field. Yes, sir, there she goes. Blue Jays 6, Rangers 3. Jose Bautista is unbelievable. That is Jose Bautista in the seventh inning of Game 5 of the 2015 ALDS. I was lucky enough to be at that game, and uh, my dad was doing that game. And I remember when the throw went off Chew and they scored. I mean, not the proudest moment for Blue Jays mm-hmm. fans. I'll admit there was some some pretty bad behavior. And I got a text saying, like, don't leave the ballpark after the game while they were losing. Things might get a little crazy. Let's just hang around and we'll leave together yeah. after. And then Bautista hit the home run, and I looked at my phone and it just said, never mind, you're, you're good, you're good, you can go. That's incredible. That's an awesome story, right? Yeah, yeah Very, it was a lot very of fun. unique. Um, well, what Bautista did pretty much was uh, rebrand the words bat flip. For sure. I don't think that anyone in this city will think of anything else, you know, before they think of Jose Bautista if you say the words bat flip. And that's Pretty iconic. I will say, though, Ben, I used to work for our beloved sportsnet.ca here, and I wrote a news piece at one point. It was either the ball or the bat from the the Batista bat flip homer. I believe it was the ball that was up for auction. So I wrote a newser about that, and I said in the text that, you know, that home run was arguably one of the most iconic moments of franchise history. I was torched on Twitter. Because it was the ALDS? It, yeah. And, and people saying, oh, you know, typical millennial thinking that this is iconic, but we've had so many other iconic moments like Carter, like Carlos Delgado, like Doug Alt in 77, right? And I was like, okay, sure. But you can't deny that that was, that was pretty iconic. That was pretty legendary. It goes down as one of the best moments in franchise history. Am I wrong? <laughs> no, I, I, I think you're right. I mean, I think the context of the Blue Jays, of course, they've won two World Series, but they hadn't even made the playoffs since 93 at that moment. And the craziness of the inning. I remember Sportsnet running 
an hour long because the inning took an hour, just an hour long recap of that inning all day for months and months to come. And I think, look, it's certainly it ranks behind Joe Carter because not only was Joe Carter in the World Series, but the Blue Jays won the World Series. But that was the first major moment really in Blue Jays history in over 20 years. And it's a franchise that still hasn't made the playoffs double digit times in its franchise history. So I don't think you can pick and choose too much with walk-off homers, or not walk-off, but game-flipping homers, last three innings of an elimination game. I think it's a big one. We have a couple more homers to get to, by the way. We are going to look at those on the other side, but we're going to take a break here on Sportsnet 590, The Fan, and Sportsnet 360. We'll be back in a moment. I'm Ben Schulman. She's Julia Kreutz. This is Jay's Talk Plus. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. Ben Shulman and Julia Kreutz filling in for Blake Murphy. All all-star break. We'll have some all-star special shows going on throughout the week. Jeff Azapardi, Lance Kennedy, Jennifer Rolnick behind the scenes. And we will go to the phone line for the first time today. A guy who knows a lot about being an all-star. A 2011 all-star out of the Blue Jays rotation. It's the lefty Ricky Romero joining us on the show. Ricky, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you for having me. How are you guys doing? Doing well, doing, doing right. well. Excited to talk to you. Just you know, thinking back to your time as an all-star, as you look at the guys coming up this week as they'll play in the game, what did it mean to you back then to be named an all-star for the first time in 2011? Oh, man, it, 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 it meant everything. I mean, I think when you when you hear, you know, it, it's one thing to hear your name, but when you hear the, the words in front of it from the Toronto Blue Jays, you know, representing... You know, you, you feel like you're representing the whole country of Canada because, you know, you you really are. I mean, this, this is the only team in this country. And, and when you get to put on that uniform, you get to walk into that in that clubhouse and you see all the stars, you know, the future Hall of Famers from Big Poppy, uh, Adrian Beltre and, um, and Felix Hernandez and, and guys like that. Miguel Cabrera, who was on that all-star team, too. You just walk in and you just kind of feel like you're a rookie all over again. And it, it just, it, 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 I wouldn't even say it was a dream come true because I don't think I ever dreamt that. It was more, I, I, I can't wait to one day hopefully pitch in the big leagues. But the, the, the rest that came with it was just like the icing on the cake. And um, it, it was definitely a special day, not only for myself, but the fact that I was able to share it with my family. It was an easy drive for them from, from L.A. to Arizona. And uh, because I didn't find out till I was kind of like Jordan Romano, I kind of had my my uh, I, I wasn't chosen on the first first go. And, and I was like, all right, well, I, I'm, I'm I wonder where I'm going to do this. all star break and trying to figure that out. And then we were in Cleveland. And as the game was ending, I was told, hey, you know what? You're going to be a replacement. You're going to pack your stuff and you're going straight to, to Arizona. And I was like, OK, <laughs> so, the good thing is that when, when it did happen, it happened so quick. It was an easy drive for my for my family to be able to, to get from L.A. to Arizona. So that was good. That's amazing, Ricky. Uh, you know, you spoke a little bit about being in, in a clubhouse with all the legends, right? And, and, and really feeling like, uh, like you're a rookie all over again. We heard Alec Manoa last year say that he took that time to 
sort of learn from from other pitchers, right? He mentioned Justin Verlander a bunch and and, and really trying to pick his brain. Uh, did you have that sort of opportunity? And uh, what are some of the most memorable interactions that you had during your All Star experience? Oh, that's a that's a great question, and 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 I'm I'm glad you asked it because I think the biggest thing that I remember from it, um, and it wasn't really that I was trying to learn from him. It was the fact that. Uh, Uh, Boy Holiday had, you know, he was with the Phillies at that time. He had just gotten traded the, that off season, and, and he had he was a starter for the for the National League. And I remember after we took our team picture, he saw me and he like ran and gave me the biggest hug. And um, um, and the first thing that came out of his mouth was like, "Hey man, I'm I'm so proud of you and and, and keep it up. I've been following you, and I was I thought that was really cool. And and you know, obviously in hindsight and everything that you know that went down with him and everything, I think it, it means even more now. It, it meant a lot before, but it means even more now. The fact that I was able to share that moment, and you know, you could never, we could never replace a, a Roy Halladay in that rotation in 2010 and 11, and and then stuff like that. I believe it was second year in field. My bad. Um, but anyways, it the the interaction that we had was pretty special and. And it's something that I would never forget. And as far as interacting with the guys in the clubhouse, I think it was more just talking to. I, I, it was a. If you guys remember Gio Gonzalez's first All Star game, um, and I remember interacting with him a lot. He was like my my catch partner. Uh, Brandon Lee was part of that um, All Star game too, and I remember just talking to him. And uh, so it was just more just getting to know the guys. And um, I knew I was kind of on the outside looking in as far as pitching. I was kind of the extra inning guy if if, if something got out of hand and, and the game was tied. I was, I was the multiple innings guy, so I didn't really get to throw. So I hold a uh, Ron Washington for that a little bit. I have a little <laughs> bit of uh, <laughs> something against him for that, but we'll, we'll save that one for later. But I, I wanted, I really wanted to pitch. I just felt like a lot of guys who went there for the first time all got a chance to pitch and I was kind of the only one that didn't. And, uh, but, but other than that, just being, being part of the festivities and, and seeing everything that happens in an all-star game, it's really isn't a break. I mean, you're doing stuff, all day long it's it's two long days but but in it, it's it's really well worth it wash could have used you the national league beat the american league that year five to one and that's when the all-star game mattered that determined you know who got home and away in the world series that year so i i think you definitely come out on the better side of that in case anyone was wondering too uh doc went two scoreless innings didn't allow a base runner 19 total Shocker. pitches yeah he was absolutely <laughs> dominant in that game The Blue Jays had an interesting thing come up. You mentioned Jordan Romano, and you were saying it's not really a break. Kevin Gosman decided not to go to the All-Star game. He has pitched a ton this year. And with the fact that you're saying it's not a break, you're doing a lot of stuff there, what do you think about Gosman's decision to kind of prioritize his rest and look ahead to the second half of the season? Yeah, I mean, I think you got to prioritize, you know, the break. And, and I think uh, this is a staff that some of these guys have thrown a lot of innings up to this point. And I think when when you look at it, and and and, and you know, it's an honor, obviously, to be named an All Star. But when you look at it, and and I, I was just telling my wife that the All Star Game in Seattle is a beautiful place, one of the best stadiums in the league. It's it's awesome, but it's also the furthest away from everything, and and it's so far up there. And I feel like I, I, I it almost felt like this year was the first time where I saw a lot of guys kind of pull out. And I'm wondering if that had something to do with it, where where it's like, you know what, we know the travel is going to be far for. Forgot like Kevin Gosman. Obviously, I believe they go back there in, in like a week or something. So that's yeah. a lot of back and forth traveling and stuff like that. So I feel like that probably had something to do with it. And you want to prioritize, like I said, um, winding down a little bit because you know that 
the second half is going to be very important for the Toronto Blue Jays, and I think I think he prioritized that um, over taking that trip all the way out there, um, probably not pitching in the game, and then having to come all the way back to to to, uh, to Toronto to get the second half started. It's just a lot of back and forth from from East Coast to West Coast, uh, and then West Coast back to East Coast. So. Um, you know, you, you, you kind of understand it. And, and, and again, I'm, I'm sure he, he feels like very honored to, to be in the all-star game, but sometimes you got to prioritize, you know, the team first. And I think that's, that's what he's doing. Um, other guys, obviously it's, it's a, it's a time to, to mingle, to get to see guys that you probably will never play with. But, um, but yeah, you know, I think, I think it's, it's more just let, let's rest up and let's get ready for that second half. You mentioned, uh, Ricky, the importance of the second half of this season uh, for the Blue Jays. A guy that will probably have a lot riding on the second half is Alec Manoa, right? Who just returned to the rotation, pitched on Friday, six innings of one run ball. What did you think of his performance? What did you think of his return? And as you look forward, what are you expecting from Manoa? Sorry, you guys are cutting off a little bit. What, what was the question again? Sorry. No problem. Uh, wanted to talk to you a little bit about Alec Manoa, who returned on Friday there. Pretty good return for him. But uh, wondering what you thought of his performance last Friday. And as you look ahead, what do you expect from Manoa in the second half of the season? I mean, it, yeah, it was it was a good start for him. And I feel like a lot of there was a lot of questions, right? I mean, when he's coming in and you're wondering, like, oh, was it too early or you know, he should have had two or three more starts and all that. And we can question that all, all we want. And I think the, the Toronto Blue Jays obviously know what they're doing. And they, they, they had a good idea of what he went and did down there and done eat in. And then obviously that line that shows, you know, the, 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 the bad outing in, in, in minor league in, in, in rookie ball or whatever it was, um, obviously doesn't tell the whole story. And, and I feel like there was a lot of stuff that went down. They're like, Oh my God, here we go again. But then like when they moved them up to double lane, you saw the stuff and I watched the, the highlights. And when you, when you saw the highlights and you're like, okay, one, he's got his competitive nature back Two, he's got that little swag. That, that's part of it. Right. I mean, it, it's one thing that you're, you're losing your stuff, but once he started feeling his delivery, started feeling his mechanics, I think he, he knew what he was doing out there. And, and then you fast forward to, to this weekend when he started in Detroit and you just saw uh, the guy that we're used to seeing one, he was pounding the zone to um, the tempo. I think that that was the biggest thing. And, and the tempo is created by the, by how many strikes you throw and being around the zone. And I feel like he was around the zone and almost seemed like he really didn't fight, fight the pitch clock very much um, where I feel like early in, in the season, he was like, you know, it was like a rush, rush, rush delivery. And I think he, he kind of made an emphasis on that. You can just tell he was getting the ball, boom, getting on the on the rubber, and let's let's get ready to roll. And when you throw strikes, um, I, I feel like I got a lot of messages where it was like, oh, he was, you know, he left some pitches up and he hung some sliders. And I was like, well, that happens during the game. Now you guys are just putting him under a bigger microscope because of the season that he's had. It's still, you know, I've pitched some of my best games where you hang some curveballs or hang some changes and you get away with it, but that happens because you're in the zone. You're throwing strikes, you know, you're, you're creating deception in your delivery and stuff like that. And when you're able to do that, you're able to sometimes get away with it. And, and he went out there and, and, and he did his job. And, and I think that that's the biggest thing that I saw where it was just um, one confidence two pounding the zone and three, just going out there and smiling again, you can just see himself. He was talking to himself after a bad pitch and you can tell he was trying to correct it as he went along. And that's huge. When, when, when you're struggling, it's tough to see that it's tough to feel that because it snowballs on you and we weren't seeing that out of him earlier in the season. 
And it just seemed like this this time he was talking to himself. He knew when he threw a bad pitch, and it was like, okay, I got to do this to get the, the the pitch back down in the zone, and then he would do it. So, it, it, I mean, I, I expect him to continue to do that. I mean, it, it, it might not always be pretty. He might go through some rough outings here and there, but I think I think right now he's on the right path, and, and, and it's just, you know, the quicker he stops the bleeding if it, it doesn't let it get out of hand, he's going to be just fine. We're talking with Ricky Romero, all-star Blue Jays starter in 2011. I'm Ben Shulman. She's Julia Kreutz. One thing we saw with Manoa that I'm not sure we've seen before. So before the game, it really looked like they were emphasizing his landing spot. They had drawn these two lines in his bullpen, and he was landing in between it. And then during the game, he almost looked like a bobsledder or something. He was kind of making these signals with his arms to, to keep himself straight. Were you ever doing anything like that, like kind of reminding yourself of your mechanics, maybe with a physical cue of something like that on the mound? And if you did, how did that go for you? Oh, yeah. I mean, all the time, even when I was going well, I think you, you know, pitching is all about um, what we call lanes and you want to be on the right lane and, 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 and the lane, your lane is, you know, towards the target. And sometimes I think with Manoa, what I saw early on was like he was getting a little bit too quick and with his with his delivery where he was you know kind of jumping at the plate and that front shoulder was kind of opening up a little bit and 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 he would kind of lose you know his power and and I think at times when he when that when that did happen his last start it was like boom he like like you said he was signaling himself to kind of stay in that lane stay in the lane get back in that lane and and I I think it's always important for pitchers to realize like okay where is it that I want to um that I want to my where, where do I want my stride to be and 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 you kind of draw a line there and you kind of start try and stay within that line. It's not very many guys that can stay on a straight line other than probably Doc Howard. <laughs> I feel like him. It was just like cleat marks. Like it was never really a big hole anywhere. It was just like perfect every time. And or Manoa is a guy that you know obviously he there's intent behind every pitch and and there's so much power behind every pitch. And and I think sometimes when he starts falling a little bit too much, he's always going to fall to, towards the first base side. But I think sometimes when he falls a little bit too much, it's because you know that front shoulder, that 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 uh, that body goes way ahead, and, and his arm doesn't catch up, and, and it kind of lags, and that's why the pitches stay up in the zone. But when he stays within his delivery and he's able to use that lower half towards the plate, and that energy is created the right way, then it's game over. I mean, he's just you know, unhittable and he's a guy that we're, we're accustomed to seeing. So it'll be interesting to see him, to see how this delivery of his uh, continues to develop. But, you know, it, it just seems like whatever they did in Dunedin definitely worked. And you're just seeing, and you're just seeing a different guy that's more aware of his body, more aware of his mechanics, more aware of where his arms got to be in order for him to be successful. So when, when, when you're able to have that and, um, and Ben, you know, I mean, there's so much technology nowadays in, in baseball. It, it, it's it's crazy. So they're able to pinpoint the problem. So so I feel like that helped them big time. Yeah, and we'll see how much that helps Alec Manoa find some consistency, right, at the second half of this season. But, Ricky, I wanted to ask you about a different all-star pitcher, a guy that has been sort of a staple of consistency pretty much, which is uh, Framber Valdez from the Houston Astros. Dusty Baker announced yesterday that – Valdez is not pitching at the All-Star game. Uh, he's returning from sort of an injury here. He would be on short rest. And uh, Dusty basically saying, you know what? Uh, I couldn't live with myself if something happened to Fromber, so we just went ahead and made the decision uh, not to pitch him uh, at the All-Star game. And, and I wonder 
What are your thoughts on that sort of decision, sort of a decision by committee here? It doesn't necessarily come from Fromber, but it's really the team sort of looking out for their best interest as well as uh, as the pitcher's best interest. What do you think about that decision and Dusty Baker's announcement of it? Oh, I think it's smart. I mean, especially when when you're, you're when you're talking about injury and him coming back from a little injury and a little nagging thing, you don't want to make it worse. You want to be smart with it. And I think that's anytime you, you, you can prioritize the player and his health, I think that comes first before anything. And, and Framber Valdez is so talented that I'm sure he's going to see plenty of these games. Um, and, and you're trying to, one, keep him healthy. Two, Dusty Baker obviously manages the team that he plays for, and he wants to have him healthy for the for the second half. And I'm sure uh, Framber understood that um and uh, again anytime you prioritize the health of a player and uh you don't mess with that i think that's 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 the way you got to go as much as i'm sure he wants to pitch in it and i mean there's so much hype around the game again you're facing the best players in the world and and you're going you know and it's all in fun and it's all it's all entertainment and stuff like that but still you still want to go out there and, and and show your stuff against the best um but again i, I mean i think the, the the health part is is the most important part and Um, anytime you have a manager that, that understands that and, and that's willing to say, hey, you know what, let's look at the big picture here. Let's look at, you know, our options here. Is, is this really worth maybe, you know, fighting, uh, you know, another injury or anything like that? Let's, 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 let's really sit here and discuss. And I think, you know, I think they did the right thing. Talking with Ricky Romero, the draft went yesterday, by the way, Ricky, and you were a sixth overall pick back in 2005 out of Cal State Fullerton. Yesterday, the Blue Jays picked a Florida high school shortstop, Arjun Namala. But thinking back to your draft experience, what do you remember from that day that you were selected by the Blue Jays? Well, one, it wasn't the the huge party that it is now. That's the thing. That's what I remember. I remember uh, we were in, uh, I think we had just one regionals at Cal State Fullerton on our way to Super Regionals. And um, I remember draft day, it was on a Monday, I believe, and we had just won on Sunday. So I drove to my parents' house, and we sat in front of my, my little, a little computer, desktop computer that we used to have, and you just kind of, you heard it. You didn't watch anything because there was no MLB network at the time. So uh, that's what I remember. I just remember being surrounded around my parents. And, you know, there was still kind of some doubt on whether I was going to the Blue Jays or not. I mean, they had said yes, but you really don't believe it till your name is actually called because we've heard of stories of guys always saying like, yeah, I thought I was going to go here and then boom, they didn't call my name. So I was kind of a little nervous, but I knew kind of where my, you know, where I was going to fall if, if I did fall from six. But once I heard my name being called, I mean, it was, just a bunch of emotions. Again, I was, I'm an East LA kid, a guy that a kid that grew up. I mean, there was a lot of odds against me and the fact that I was able to beat those odds and, and, and make a name for myself, make a name for, from, for my whole family and, and, and then be drafted by the Toronto Blue Jays, obviously didn't know much about Toronto. And now I'm absolutely in love with this place. I'm here in my home and, 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 and poor credit. Uh, my wife is Canadian. So It, everything came, kind of came full circle for me and um, from not knowing anything about the, the country of Canada. And, and now it's just an amazing place. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, 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 it was cool. Obviously, you dream of, of, of being drafted. And uh, when it does happen, you realize that there's still a lot of work to be done to get to the big leagues. And, yeah, I mean, it was, it was definitely a special day. Great day for you and a great day for the Blue Jays franchise as well. Ricky, thank you so much for coming on and talking with us today. Awesome stuff. 
Awesome. Thank, thank you for having me. That was Ricky Romero, left-handed starter for the Blue Jays. Three straight double-digit win seasons. And in that 2011 All-Star campaign, a 2-9-2 ERA for the lefty. I know he said they couldn't replace Doc. And, and look, I'm not sure that you can really ever replace a pitcher like Doc. Right. But for a couple years there, when they were looking for an ace and Doc was gone... Ricky was that guy, and that's why he got to the All Star game. And it does speak volumes, right? The 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 story that Ricky told about uh, getting there and Doc just giving him this big hug, saying that he's proud of him. It, it really does paint a picture of what Romero meant for the Blue Jays uh, at, at that point in time, and the recogni- recognition that he got. Uh, not just from his teammates, but also from former teammates and from his peers. So it seems like it was a, a, a very well-deserved recognition there, that all-star nod. And yeah, he sort of became the guy for the Blue Jays. And, and to sort of have that validated from Roy Halladay himself, I'm sure it was very, very meaningful for him. For sure. For sure. Hey, we promised uh, we'd get to some home runs on the other side of the last break. So let's get to one quickly before we go to another break. A guy who... Blue Jays fans know very well. We had Bautista's home run in 15 last time. Maybe just one rung below on the ladder. Edwin Encarnacion, 2016 wild card game against the division rival Baltimore Orioles. Kind of the last time before this year that you would have really looked at the Orioles as a team to rival the Blue Jays. Here's Edwin's walk-off home run in that game. The Jimenez pitch. Fly ball deep left field. Yes, sir. The Blue Jays are going to Texas. Edwin Encarnacion has won it for the Blue Jays 5-2 with a dramatic 11th inning home run into the 200 level here as he's mobbed by his teammates and a sea of blue down on the field. That is the incredible Jerry Howarth on the call, sound courtesy of Sportsnet 590, the fan. And the big thing, we got to get to a break in a sec, that I remember from that, though, is just yeah. Ubaldo Jimenez on the mound because <laughs> Zach Britton, who who could have vied for a Ooh. Cy Young as a closer that year, yeah. was left warming up in the bullpen. The Zach at, Britton game. Yeah, that was, for a while, it looked like that might be the last game that Buck Showalter managed, but <laughs> broke back in with the New York Mets. This is Jay's Talk Plus. She's Julia Kreutz. I'm Ben Schulman. We are going to take a break. When we come back, we have a lot more coming up. Some more home runs. We're going to pick our home run derby bracket and talk a little bit more about Vladimir Guerrero Jr. as well. Plus, we got some texts from you rolling in. We will go over those. It's 590-590 to text us. But we're going to take a quick step aside on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet 590 The Fan. This is Jay's Talk Plus. Covering the Raptors in depth like no one else. The Raptor Show with Will Lou. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Rep deals. Hard hit ball. Power alley. Left center field. Home run. Very strong, and uh, he hit that ball real well over the 375-foot sign. 
Probably went close to 400 feet. What a thrill for this crowd. There he is, Doug Alt, hard-hitting first baseman. This crowd roaring like a World Series crowd. Well, Torres is on first base, and here's Doug Alt. He homered his first time up. The first Blue Jay homer, the first Blue Jay run ever scored back in the first inning after Scott and Torres had struck out ahead of them. Here's Brett's pitch. It is hit deep to right field. Home run! Doug Alt will go down in memory and history as the first Blue Jay to hit two home runs in the opening game back to back. Just tremendous. are making heroes here batter by batter and pitch by pitch and right now Doug Alt heads that list that was the first ever home run and the first multi-homer game in Blue Jays history welcome back to Jays Talk Plus appreciate you tuning in for this second hour on Sportsnet 360 or the Sportsnet Radio Network I'm Ben Schulman she's Julia Kreutz filling in for Blake Murphy today Jeff Azapati, Lance Kennedy Jennifer Rolnick behind the scenes and Doug Alt, I mean, he will always be linked yeah. to Blue Jays history, hitting one over that snow-covered outfield, <laughs> that exhibition stadium That's back incredible. in 77. That's, uh, you can't, it doesn't get any better than that, right? I can only imagine uh, the excitement, the emotion of those fans to see that happening in, in the opening game. I mean, what a way to, uh, to get things started. Certainly, certainly an iconic moment in franchise history. We'll have one more iconic Homer game coming up in the show, but... We're talking about your favorite home run derbies. You've texted in at 590-590. Let's get to some of those. Eddie in Fort Erie mentioning that his favorite was the battle between Vladdy and Jock Peterson in 2019 on the edge of his seat throughout the matchup. Tend to agree. I mean, of all the rounds in that derby, Jock and Vladdy were kind of the most fun. That was incredible. That was uh, such uh, such an entertaining moment and a thrilling one at that, right? It, whether you were rooting for Vlad or for Jock, two very big personalities in the game, as we know, I think that that sort of adds to the, to the allure of the whole thing as well. But it was... Uh, it was a fun, fun time. And, and for Blue Jays fans especially, um, it, it was one to remember, Ben. Matt, Matt from Fergus, Jeremy from the Junction, both mentioning Mark McGuire at Fenway in 1999. Doesn't get much better than Big Mac. Jeremy also <laughs> saying Cal Ripken in 1991 at the then Sky Dome, which... Right on. It would be so great to get a home run derby in an all-star week back in Toronto. Right on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that in itself makes it uh, pretty memorable for, for people in this city and for people in this country. And Cal Ripken is Cal Ripken, right? And then Jonathan from Guelph. We're on the same wavelength. He said it has to be Josh <laughs> Hamilton home run derby. Nothing can top that moment for me. And I have to agree. Although, you never know. Home run derby coming up this year. A really loaded slate. We're going to make our picks. Our, our very, you know, Oof. it's a home run derby. So it's not uh, the most analytical decisions we're going to be making here. But we are going to make our picks right now. There is a bracket challenge, actually, that MLB has. So you can make your own picks. I think when, like... 100,000 U.S. That or something like correct. that. Yeah, that's a lot of money. So go do that if you want to make your picks. But we are going to look at the bracket now. Pick all the way through to the final, the eight-man field. And let's just get right right into it. Let's start with the one-versus-eight matchup, Julia. Luis Robert, and these are seedings given out by MLB. I'm not sure how official they are, but mm -hmm. Luis Robert against Adley Rutschman. Yeah, interesting matchup. I, I Okay, I'll pick first here. 
I'll uh, I'll take one for the team and, and pick first. But uh, I would have to go with Luis Robert just because of what we have seen from him of late. Um, Rutschman is definitely a, a worthy opponent here, and I wouldn't be surprised if this went the other way. But with uh, with Robert and the way that he has been swinging the bat lately, um, like I said, I, it seems like he has something to uh, to prove here a little bit, even. Uh, trying to get himself more on that uh, on that big stage, right? In his first All-Star game and all of that. So I would say, I, I would give the edge to Robert in this matchup. You'll you'll hear from my voice here, guys, that I'm not completely confident in these choices. <laughs> like, there's a reason why I don't bet. I don't bet. Um, but... Uh, We'll make our way through this, Ben. This is uh, this is fun. <laughs> yeah, this is certainly not uh, MLB bracket challenge gambling advice in, in any respect. But I, I'm going to have to agree with you there. I think this is the clearest matchup of all. Adley Rutschman, like you mentioned, he's a great hitter. He has 25 home runs in in you know 170 whatever odd career games. Luis Robert has 26 this season. I mean, it's just to me, you know, like Adley's a better hitter, I think, in right. in some ways. But when we're talking about raw power i think it has to go to robert here so both of us have Luis robert beating adley rutschman to move on to the second round now we go to maybe you know outside of toronto the most anticipated matchup there oh, is yeah. in this derby it's pete alonso against julio rodriguez two versus seven julio given the seven seed coming off the home run derby title yeah uh that's odd i i, I don't know like you said how um official these are if it's kind of uh, picked at random here I truly don't know but uh i'm gonna go on a limb here i'm gonna say that julio playing in his home ballpark in front of his fans uh will edge the two-time champion pete alonso now i may live to regret this but that is my pick so you have Julio Rodriguez moving on. I thought I was going to be zagging. I also have Julio Rodriguez really? moving on. Okay. I, I think the home ballpark is a big part of it. And I I just think that he, not that Pete Alonso doesn't. Pete Alonso is a, is a great player, but I feel like Julio rises to that moment a lot. Like you said, with Vladdy being a showman, I think Rodriguez yep. is from a similar kind of cloth in that respect. I think that he really showed that last year. Like, he, he should not have won last year by most respects. And I think that he has a good chance here to upset Pete Alonso with the home crowd behind him. Every home run, they're going to explode in Seattle. So I have Julio as well. Those are not the same, like, matchups going to the semifinal. We didn't pick Robert versus Rodriguez. It's Robert on one side for us now, Rodriguez yep. on the other side, yep. and we go to the 3-6 matchup, Mookie Betts versus Vladimir Guerrero Jr. We have to go with Vlad, right? I, I, don't, uh, I don't see this going any other way. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it may be that Mookie is uh, just strategic enough that he beats Vladdy, but I don't see that happening in the first round when both guys are, you know, pretty well rested and, and coming into it. So I will still give the the advantage to Vladdy based on what we are we're discussing before, right? Based on raw power. And we also get the privilege to watch Vladimir Guerrero Jr. take batting practice. We know what he's capable of uh, when uh, they're tossing some some soft soft tosses to him. So I would give this uh, this edge to Vladdy in the first round, Ben. So you have Vladdy moving on to the second round. That sets up. Guerrero Jr. versus Rodriguez Whoa. in a semifinal. And maybe I just like inviting pain online, but I'm going to pick Mookie Betts. 
I, re- I really am. I mean, he, wow. this season, he has double the home runs that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. does. Fair he enough. has 26. And I, I agree to you that it's less of a big deal in that first round. But I wonder if Mookie, you know, he's a, he's a far more experienced player, too. He's 30 years mm-hmm. old now. He's played for a while. If he might have a better ability to just kind of sneak him over the yeah. wall. Vladdy, all Vladdy hits is moonshots. Yep. And that's part of what makes him great. But I wonder if Betts, with a little bit of strategy there, could end up outlasting Guerrero even in the first round. That's a fair, that's a fair pick. I'm not going to argue too much with that. I do agree with you that you are inviting pain online. Oh, yeah. I can't <laughs> wait to see the text lines after this. But yeah, for sure. It's uh it will be sort of a formidable matchup, right? These guys are very, very different and they're both able to hit them over the fence in very different ways, uh, different body types, obviously, different positions in the field. So I know that the Alonzo Rodriguez matchup is is highly anticipated, but for me, probably the most interesting one is Betts versus Guerrero. For some, it might be this next one, though. Former roommates, when they were both in the Cardinals system, neither making their name with the Cardinals now, Adolis Garcia and Randy Arozarena. This should be, you know, maybe the matchup that leads in fun in the first round. These two guys are going to be getting on each other in the 4-5 matchup. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. I'm going to go with Randy. Oh, okay. And um, I, I know... I, I'm aware. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's he's a slight underdog in that yeah, matchup. Yeah, yeah. I, I can see why, right? But um, when we're talking about showmanship, there is no oh. greater. And I can't wait for him to cross his arms in front of the camera <laughs> after winning that, that, uh, that first round. I'm going to go with Randy here. I'm going to go on the other side. I'm going to go with Adolis Garcia. Uh, you know, not, not that much real analysis in this, but he is having a career season for what it's worth, and he already was a really powerful hitter before. I, I think that he's got a, a good shot to hit near 45 to 50 home runs this year. He's 23 at the break, and, and I like him, you know, getting on his old roommate and, and maybe finding a way to win. So we have our semifinals set up. Because they're a bit different, I'll just ask you to pick your two semifinals first, and then I'll pick my two in the first semifinal, you have Luis Robert and Randy Rosarena. Where do you go with that pick? We have to go with uh, with Robert here. Okay. For sure. I do believe Robert's going to make it all the way to the final. Uh, I've had the privilege of uh, working some White Sox games of late, and uh, the way that he's swinging the bat right now, Ben, I, I think that there is a, a momentum aspect to this as well in, in, in how a guy is feeling physically mentally as well the the level of confidence that he goes into the the derby with i I do believe that this is the year that uh, robert will make it to the final and then on the other side rodriguez it has to be j-rod here in front of the home crowd i do think vladdy is going to make it interesting for him i do but uh, when all is said and done i do believe that robert and rodriguez is the uh the final that makes the most sense for where we are in the season and where these guys are specifically. I like it. So Julio Rodriguez, Luis Robert, who's who's always been a powerful guy too, but hasn't stayed healthy a lot in this year, really, really looking good. I'm going to pick J-Rod too. I have him versus Mookie Betts. I think, you know, some of the rest fatigue stuff is canceled out in that spot because yeah. J-Rod actually does have a bit of a similar body type to Betts and, and you know, kind of a similar profile there. Right on. And I'm going to pick Garcia to kind of sh- nice. to shock Robert. I, I think if there's anyone as powerful as Robert, it might be Garcia. So I have Adolis Garcia and Julio Rodriguez. You have Luis Robert and Julio Rodriguez. Oof. Who is your winner 
of the 2023 Home Run Derby? My winner is Luis Robert. There you go. I'm going all the way with uh, with Luis Robert here on this. Uh, I know that the odds aren't in my favor, but I do think it would uh, it would make for a fun little narrative if uh, if he were to dethrone sort of Rodriguez in his in his home ballpark. I'm going to go with the hometown guy. I, I have Julio Rodriguez here going back to back. But Can't go wrong. It's going to be a lot of fun. Can't wait for this home run derby uh, to get underway, to see Vladimir Guerrero Jr. go up against Mookie Betts and all those other matchups. We talked about it a lot before. This is the second time that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is mm-hmm. in the home run derby. And when you watch the videos of last time Vladdy was in it, I mean, it's a couple years ago now, and he looks like a completely different guy in Indeed. some ways. What are the biggest changes you feel like have gone on with Flatty from yeah. then to now? Yeah, I'll answer that in a second. I just want to say first, Ben, that if I win, if my uh, bracket <laughs> is correct, I'm going to chirp you so you hard should. I'll, on the internet. I'll put these on Twitter and awesome. or I'll send you yours. We can each put our own on Twitter and we'll sure. see what happens. I am a... I don't do it like you really bet, but I'm a horrific better in my yeah. limited experience. So for all I know, like Adley Rutschman's going to win the yeah, whole thing, seriously. you know, like so, something like that. You can't know, right? That's yeah. the, the beauty of the Derby too. It's uh, it's not like the best hitter or the, the, the most powerful hitter is going to win. It's, it's organized in a way that uh, uh, strategy and mentality also play, play a big factor for into sure. it. So that's, that's pretty cool. Uh, and you know, that may help even uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. If he can make it past that first round against Mookie Betts. But talking about Vladdy uh, a little bit and, you know, the differences between the last time that he was in the Derby and now and in, in, in how he has evolved, I do think that the first um, aspect that we need to talk about is physical, right? He has really grown into sort of the, the, the player that he is. He has gained a lot of muscle. He um, has made strides, you know, that have helped him even become a gold glover in first base. So you see that athleticism in play for Vlad. And that's something that he has sort of built uh, year over year. So when he first joined the league in in 19 or the major leagues in 19 and now, you see that uh, physically he's a different guy. So that's number one for me. And second is that he is actually turning into a leader. For this team, right, Ben? You see him sort of drawing that responsibility to himself, sort of being the guy alongside Bo Bichette. And, and you, obviously they have come up together, but the guy that wants to unite the clubhouse and that wants to be sort of that presence um, for this team. I do think that those would be the, the two biggest differences for me. You really see him grow into a gold glove caliber first baseman and really embracing first base uh, when, you know, at first it was a thought that maybe he could play third. That didn't work out. And then just growing into a leader in that clubhouse and, and, and trying to really bring the team together and carry this team towards a postseason. Yeah, I, I think the defense was one of the things that stuck out to me the most, honestly. Right. Just remembering, you know, when I see that version of Vladdy, I think of that as third base Vladdy. Like, that's a whole different guy in a way and and everyone knows that didn't go so well and there were a lot of talks there but not only did he switch over to first base partly because of need from there but then he really you know turned it into a strength and we saw even that yesterday he made a diving stop in the game against the White Sox at a big spot that helped the Blue Jays limit a run they end up coming back and and can provide you know they want more value with the bat but can provide value in multiple different areas of the game 
which I think is what you really want from an elite player. Yeah, it's interesting that to me, one of the things that has sort of remained the same, and maybe he lost that a little bit as he was trying to uh, to find his way back to who he was, you know, in 2021. But one thing that I will say is I, I think that Vladdy's introduction to the wider Blue Jays fan base was in Montreal, right? When uh, when the Blue Jays played an exhibition preseason game in, in Montreal and Vladdy hits that homer and that is when most of us, you know, especially the casual fans were like, oh, okay, this is Vladimir Guerrero's kid hitting in Montreal um, and he's going to be a star for our team for years to come. And that has sort of remained, right? The the ability to hit in that big spot, the ability to change the game with one swing. Yes, we haven't seen as much of that this year because he did struggle for a little bit there. But it's also cool to see that while Vladdy has evolved and grown and changed, that part of his game is still very much intact and it's still... Uh, inherent to the kid that we saw in Montreal all those years ago. Yeah, he's still only 24, which is crazy to it's think wild. about sometimes as, you know, he debuted in 2019. We're here in 2023. We're going to get back to the text line for a second. There's some Vladdy stuff there. Also to clarify my mistake, I mix it up. Julio Rodriguez unseated Pete Alonso, but then actually lost the home run derby last year. Oh. It was Juan Soto there you go. Uh, who beat Julio Rodriguez at that point. But we had a text a little bit earlier in the show that I want to get to now. Kyle from Napanee. He says, with Vladdy having taken the past two home run derbies off, citing personal and wrist problems, and also his slow start this season, do you see this sign or this involvement in the derby as a sign to regain, you know, some attention from himself, some notoriety, possibly increasing his stock elsewhere around baseball too as as an exit approaches? I don't totally subscribe to that. I think a lot more of your values built in games than really in in home run derbies, but. You can increase your stock with sponsors, I think, for sure, in home run derbies, and that's a big thing. Yeah, and, you know, people are looking, obviously. Uh, there's yeah. uh, some some big eyeballs in this, and we, and we know that. I don't believe that Vlad necessarily needs that. If, if he wants out, he will get a big payday um, no matter where he goes, and that's, that's what I believe. And that said, you know, Ross Atkins is very adamant about being in conversations with Vladdy. He does seem to feel at home here. He does seem to want to lead this team for the years to come. And now it's all about finding a way to actually make that deal happen. Uh, for me, you know, yes, Vladdy sat out for the last couple of years. It made sense for him to do that Uh he sort of experienced how much of a physical toll the home run derby takes on you. And then this year happened, right? And it happened in a way where the narrative around Vladdy was very, very different from, from a couple of years ago. And so for him, I also think that this is just about sort of regaining some of the joy in the game, flipping the narrative perhaps a little bit, and, and just having fun, right? At the end of the day, Vladdy is at his best when he's having fun. I know that that uh, may bother a few fans who think that he's not taking things too seriously. Well, he's not, right? That is that is where and when he is at his best. I don't know if you agree with that, Ben, but I, I do think that that's a... Uh, I think that inherently, if you're playing baseball for a living, you're likely having fun. I mean, a lot of guys might look serious on the field. And, and this is not me comparing Vladdy to this guy, but like Willie Mays had fun on the field. Right you know, on. Like he was smiling and laughing around. Like some of the best players, yeah. Ken Griffey Jr. had fun on the field constantly. 
And I think actually a lot of the stuff you see from Vladdy, like when he, he was doing a lot of like the untuck and backwards hat, that's like direct Ken Griffey Jr. stuff that he's taking there. I, I really think if you're producing on the field, it doesn't matter if you have a smile or a straight face, frankly. If, if you're producing, people are going to be happy with you. And if you're not producing up to the standards, they won't. And that leads me a little bit to, you know, Vlad's home run total this year, obviously, well down and the pace well down. How integral do you think home runs are to Vladimir Guerrero Jr.? Obviously, he has to hit yeah. them. He hit 48 in 2021, which led all of Major League Baseball. Where do you stand on Vladdy as a home run hitter versus, you know, just a, a doubles hitter who hits a lot of home runs? I know these are kind of vague terms, but right. how important do you think the home run is to Vladdy's game? I would say it's very important. And I would say that that is part of the problem, right? It's it's what we haven't seen from him. It's uh, all the talk about mechanics and launch angles and uh, hard hit balls and and where he's hitting them too. It's, it, it is an integral part of his game. And that is part of the struggle, physical as well as mental, for Vladdy right now. Um, not um, entirely sure. Like he can, he can certainly make up for it, is what I'm trying to say, right? Yeah. And he has shown that he can make up for it. But at the end of the day, that's how he came up. For right? sure, that is that is uh, Vladdy's game. And until he can sort of uh, recover that, we are always going to look at Vlad as uh, maybe not entirely himself maybe not uh achieving his truest potential here um ben obviously you have uh, worked with uh, with analytics a little bit more than me and and so i wonder if you agree that you know he can uh, supplement that lack of home runs somehow but how integral is it to for him to hit homers here i, I think he can supplement it a bit because you know when he hits 48 in 2021 i bring that number up there's there's some factors at play. Obviously, it's a phenomenal season. I'm not here to take it away. Salem Field and TD Ballpark, I think as a lot of people know at this point, were very plus offensive ballparks. Now, you don't run into 48 home runs because of the ballpark you play in, and they spent part of the year, you know, not at that ballpark, obviously, whenever they were on the road or not playing uh, south of the border anymore. But I, I still think it's tough for him to hit the numbers people want him to see, especially on the rate stats, the batting average on base slugging OPS without being like a 30 homer guy. Like, I don't know that he needs to be 45 homers threatening to lead the league each year. I, I sometimes kind of think of him as more in the Miguel Cabrera molds where it's, he's a really good home run hitter, but he also has the ability to hit for a pretty high average to hit a lot of doubles. He's got a good eye. He can walk a lot. So he, he certainly, I think needs to be in and around a 30 homer pace to have his numbers where they need to be. Because even, you know, without looking at even the most complex analytics, I mentioned earlier, but same batting average as last year. His on-base is higher than it was last year, marginally, but it is. But his slugging, so much lower. And that's almost entirely the homers because his 19 doubles by the end of the unofficial first half is pretty good. Like, it's actually pretty close to the pace of the 35 he hit last year and would outpace the 29 that he hit in 2021. So... I think they really need him to hit the home run. You mentioned he has all those RBIs earlier in the show. He's actually been one of their better hitters with runners in scoring position. But I think sometimes where it's great if you get a single with guys on first and third or guys on first and second, in previous years, he would have been hitting a homer, and that completely changes the game. Could be a 
adding a lot more to that RBI total. And, and yes. you know, I wonder, guys, are, pitchers are obviously approaching Vladdy a lot differently too. That plays a factor into it. There's so much that goes into it. And baseball is a game of adjustment, right? If uh, pitchers adjust to you, it's your job to adjust right back. So that is what we are expecting from Vlad in, uh, as the second half begins here. Got one final text to get to, then we're going to hit a quick break. Rob from Strathroy uh, helping us out here because I said I don't know how the seeds work. So the seeds are a ranking of the home runs you currently have on the season. Now, Robert Alonzo Betts all tied. Not really sure what the tiebreaker was to get Robert to number one, Alonzo to number two, and Betts to number three. And you also have Guerrero and Rodriguez tied, Vladdy got the sixth seed. Rodriguez got the seventh seed. So not exactly sure there, but appreciate the text. You can always text us at 590-590. We're going until noon today on Jay's Talk Plus. Fill it in for Blake Murphy. I'm Ben Schulman. She's Julia Kreutz, Jeff Azapari, Lance Kennedy, Jennifer Rolneck behind the scenes. And coming up after the break, Shai Davidi is joining us. He has been all over. There's so much that Shai can talk to us about. That'll be a lot of fun. Stick with us on Sportsnet 360 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Smart takes on the biggest stories in sports. The Fan Drive Time with Ben Ennis. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. Got about another half hour to go today. We'll be here all week. Julia Kreutz. Ben Schulman, Jeff Azaparty, Lance Kennedy, Jennifer Rolnick behind the scenes. It's Home Run Derby Day. Happy Home Run Derby Day. But yesterday was the draft as well. Just a loaded week and really a, an eventful last couple weeks all over the continental United States in the last couple weeks. Shai Davidi of Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca who is going to join us today as we talk about that. But yeah, it was, you know, just such a important draft yesterday, mm -hmm. you know, and, and you were covering it a lot. Yeah. What a big day and kind of a, you know, an unexpected day. And I think a couple different spots as some guys, you know, there was the number one pick. It kept being reported. Wyatt Langford from Florida. Mm -hmm. Wyatt Langford from Florida. Paul Skeens goes. Right. Langford dropped even below Max Clark, the top high school player. Blue Jays got, you know, Arjun Namala, who a lot of people didn't think would get to that point. It was a... Uh, a really exciting way, I think, to kick off the All-Star break. Yeah, and, and what a loaded draft class, right? It, it, there was so much talent, uh, so much so that, you know, obviously we know that the COVID-19 years had a little bit of an influence here. A lot of guys went to college, uh, sort of lost a season. And so this, is, this was the draft class where we saw all of that uh, backed-up talent, if you will. And it was just really, really loaded with talent. It was very nice to see. There's still a couple more days in this uh, in this draft, and the talent should keep rolling on, Ben. Well, now we have a guy to come on and talk about it. He's been here. He's been there. He's been everywhere. Shy Davidi <laughs> of Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca. Shy, between New Hampshire, Chicago, Oregon, Seattle, what's the best, like, airport gate meal you, that you've gotten so far over your travels? So... Fortunately, I've uh, not had to eat at an airport. Nice. Usually, usually <laughs> that's like an oxymoron. Good airport gate meal. Uh, <laughs> they just they just don't exist. Uh, but it's been it's been fun. Uh, it, it's amazing where this game can take you. 
sometimes and uh, getting to, to see baseball in a number of different ways and a number of different places has been pretty, pretty awesome. Shai, you were at the Futures game. What did you see from the Blue Jays prospect there? Prospects, I should say, Reverse and Zulueta. They both ended up giving up runs here. But what were your takeaways for the Blue Jays prospects in that game? Well, you know, you can't make too much of that sort of one one game sample, right? Uh, I think for for Reversa, like he's made a ton of progress. He's a 21 year old in, in Double A, and he's really taking a jump a little bit. He, his velocity has clicked up. Uh, we saw an example of that. He got up to 95. He's been up to 96 this season, uh, and. You know, he gives up a couple ground ball base hits and then comes back and strike out on a beautiful changeup, and, and that's his outing. And Zuleta, like his, he, he's repeating the Futures game. Last year, his Future game experience was one pitch. He comes in in a two-on, one-out jam. Or, sorry, two-on, two-out jam. Uh, one pitch, gets a ground ball, the inning's over, and he thinks he might be coming back out for the next inning. And they're like, no, that's it. So he was kind of joking that maybe he'll throw, make sure to throw a ball first pitch so he gets to throw <laughs> at least two this time around. Uh, but, you know, he ends up, uh, he gets ahead of the first batter, back foot slider hits him. Uh, next batter kind of just hooks this little double down the line, clears the bases, there's three runs, and he comes back and gets the next two guys looking. So uh, nice, nice outing, nice experience for those two guys. Uh, and a neat story, too, two players uh, both signed with, uh, international bonus pool money in 2019 that the Blue Jays didn't expect to get. Uh, they picked it up in the trades for uh, Dwight Smith Jr. Kenrys Morales, and then their paths kind of diverge, and then they reunited the Futures game. So a neat little story in that way too. And I think some names that a lot of the people you know who follow Blue Jays prospects probably know by now. Two top ten guys in the Blue Jays system, and the top two right-handed pitchers in the system. From what you've seen and from what you've heard around the team, what do you think a timeline could be? You know, whether it's next year or even after that, when these guys could potentially impact the major league club. Well, I mean, Zulueta is both uh, opportunity and him locking in some command uh, away. He's in the bullpen right now, triple a Buffalo. And it seems like that's where he's going to stay. There've been some back and forth. Uh, maybe he's a bulk guy. Maybe he's a starter. And right now it seems like he's locked into that, uh, you know, three to five, three to six out inning role. And so, you know, he's, he's got like elite back end stuff. It's uh, a really good slider a really big fastball, but command has been an issue for him at times. And so if he's able to sort that piece out, uh, he can absolutely be a weapon in the back of the bullpen. Reversa, the Blue Jays are developing him more as a traditional starter. Uh, again, because he's so young, they're really methodically building up his innings count. Uh, he got 100 115-ish last season. He's on track to surpass that this year. He's got 70-something already uh, with, uh, with more runway to, to increase that this year. And so you, you think that all things being equal, he starts next year at AAA, uh, and that from there it's, it's up to his performance. So, you know, the, you know, you mentioned that sort of the top 10 prospects are among the, the, the pitching arms who are more near-term in terms of development as well. 
Shai, you mentioned uh, Zulueta's sort of issues with command. He's a guy that has battled some injuries here that maybe have uh, set back his development. Is that part of the issue here, that maybe that is uh, lagging a little bit behind because the injuries have sort of uh, held him back a little? Perhaps. I mean, again, he's just a guy who hasn't pitched a ton. And, you know, last year he scooted across three levels. He got up to triple A and uh, there was some chatter that if all things had gone well, that you know, maybe he could have even broken through last year. And it, it didn't quite happen that way. Uh, but he, you mentioned the injury. So when he signed, he ended up needing Tommy John surgery. Uh, then he comes back from that. He ends up blowing out his knee in his first game back and loses another year that way. So there certainly is some catch up and that could certainly be a part of it. But he was also, when he signed a bit more advanced and, your average international player. He'd had some experience. He'd been around. So it's not like he was just a a teenager plucked out who's got some work to do in terms of figuring out who he is. Uh, He sort of knew who he was, but he just needed the reps. And uh, that could perhaps be a factor. And, you know, the other thing, too, it's just tough harnessing 98 on a consistent basis. I think that might be a degree of what you're seeing with him as well. When you talk about the experience, you mentioned the 115 innings for Robert and it's 96 and two-thirds innings of Zuleta's entire minor league career so far. He was on four stops last year, and uh, one of those stops was in Vancouver, where you weren't in Vancouver, but you were just a little bit south in Oregon, watching the Canadians who at the high A or advanced A level have already qualified for the playoffs in that kind of two-half system. What stood out to you about them this week and maybe which players? Well, it's uh, it's a really interesting team, right? Because they've got a handful of prospects who aren't necessarily the can't-miss types, but they've got some projection development types where they've got some nice pieces, and if it all comes together, then you really got something, right? Uh so Josh Kasovich, the shortstop there, gifted defender, absolutely elite with the glove, but the bat has to come around. And he's got a lot of contact, not necessarily a lot of pop. And what does that bat ultimately turn into will help sort of determine uh, what type of player he is. Uh, already this season they promoted two guys who are at double A now are really interesting. Chad Dallas, a starter, uh, who's having a really nice season and a, uh, power on reliever and Connor Cook uh, who's got a chance to, to really be an impact guy maybe next year uh, in, uh, out of the bullpen. Um, again, outfielder Alan Rodan, uh, another kind of skillsy, toolsy player who the Blue Jays are betting on some development on there and uh, he's got a chance to be you know, a, a good contact type of bat maybe with a little bit of pop, could play a little bit of defense someone described him to me as just a a good all-around type of player. Uh, So that's certainly something that they like. Uh, They've got the uh, Zion Santos, intriguing arm in the rotation there. Uh, There are a number number of players who could turn into something, uh, but they've also been performing. There's a group of them that have been together for a while. They were part of the same draft class, and they won in Dunedin going to the playoffs again in Vancouver. And if they continue to progress, uh, you know, maybe that's something as well there too. So uh, a very interesting group. Uh, certainly there are never guarantees in the minor league system. 
Uh, but certainly some guys at the Blue Jays development system is doing what they, what they really want and say that it uh, should be doing uh, could turn some interesting players into some interesting prospects. Guys, speaking of, uh, of prospects here, uh, the draft obviously started yesterday. Uh, the Blue Jays picking Arjun Namala and Shane Farrell uh, talking a little bit about sort of the, the full package that, that he is as a shortstop, uh, the, the, the bat, the, the defensive reactions and all of that. Uh, speaking of signability, Blue Jays are also confident that they can sign him even though he's a high school guy. Uh, what were your takeaways on the draft and especially on Namala for the Blue Jays at the number 20 pick? Well, I guess to, to me, to, the, the interesting thing is that so the Blue Jays don't have the second round pick this year, uh, the forfeiting that for signing Chris Bassett as free agents. And so they've got two picks in the top 100, uh, first uh, 20 overall, and then they're not picking again until 89. So, you know, if you're going to get impact, they sort of really have one, one good shot at it, and that's with the 20 overall pick. And because you don't have that second shot in the second round, you know, you could have said, okay, we should play this a little bit more conservatively, and maybe surrender a bit of uh, feeling to get a little bit more certainty. Uh, but, you know, Namal is a big swing, right? It's uh, a package, if it all comes together, could be a five-tool guy at a premium defensive position. And the, there's some power there. There's some contact ability. The defense, everything, it's, just, it's a pretty good package if it all comes together. But he's 17, one of the youngest players available in the draft. Uh, there's a lot of time for sideways. And so that element of risk, to me, is a little bit interesting because, uh, you know, the, the Blue Jays went for, went for the impact. They went for the big, uh, the, the guy who could really be a major piece in the farm system instead of being a, a little bit more conservative. I wonder if maybe that impacts how they approach the rest of the draft in terms of playing it a little bit safer to get some, some players who have a higher, higher probability of maybe reaching the major leagues. But the, the package... Uh, with with Namala, again, if it comes together, that's that's really something. You're talking about a guy who could really be impact all around if everything hits. And Namala, you know, in, in a lot of the mock drafts that you saw around, was projected to go a little bit higher than the Blue Jays. The Blue Jays were linked to a lot of you know college bats, let's say like a Tucker Toman or something like that. What is your sense on, you know, did they potentially not know he was going to be available, but once he's there, you, you kind of have to grab that guy? Right. They met with him three times. He's lived near, near their complex and been down to the complex. They've been following him. Uh, they obviously knew that he could potentially be in play for them, but it, it was an interesting draft. I mean, I heard you talking off the top and yeah, you know, the pirates, don't go to industry expectation with the first pick. And that sort of reverberates all the way down and suddenly everybody else is adjusting. And so uh, the Blue Jays certainly had uh, some adjustments to make. Uh, you know, I wonder about uh, Brock Wilkin who ended up going to the Brewers. Uh, I think that might be one of the players that the Blue Jays had some interest in. Uh, Ross Atkins did make a trip to Wake Forest to, to watch him play. So if the GM's going down to take a look at a guy, um, it's usually a pretty good indicator that there's some level of interest there. Uh, so, you know, that could have been a factor uh, in, in their decision. But, you know, ultimately, they've obviously done quite a bit of work on, on Namala and have gotten pretty comfortable with him. And, 
when he was available there, they decided to, to go for broke. Shai, uh, changing topics a little bit, you are in Seattle right now after the, the marathon week that you had. What is the environment like uh, right now? Um, how are fans sort of expectations? What have you seen from, um, I don't know, just, just the overall uh, feel right now for Seattle heading into this all-star break with, uh, you know, a lot of excitement? Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, people seem pretty into it. There's a lot of signage and uh, activity in and around the city related to the All-Star. Uh, you know, I've been to, this was the third in-person draft and uh, or open draft uh, done during the All-Star break. And there were by far the most people at this one compared to, you know, the, the ones in Los Angeles and, and Denver before this. Uh, so that certainly speaks to the fans embracing it. And even uh, on the Futures game and the, the All-Star celebrity softball game, which I can't fathom why anybody would want to attend and pay money to see, even <laughs> that had like a, a rowdy crowd. Uh, and so as I was, you know, suffering through that, trying to finish my stories, uh, people were really into uh, that nonsense playing out on the field. So uh, obviously some pretty good energy in the city. And we'll really see it start coming together tonight with the Derby and then the game tomorrow. Shai, I am personally offended by what you just said because I did start this show by saying that I love the celebrity softball game. <laughs> I think it's so much fun because it is sort of nonsensical. You know what I mean? So, Julia, I've known you for a while and you have lots of very good qualities. This is a very disturbing uh, revelation to me that you're that into the, the softball game. I, you know, it, it's, I, I think it's the obnoxiousness around it with like the yelling and the screaming. And uh, I don't know, there's something about like, you know, former players pimping softball home runs against <laughs> celebrities that it's just, it just seems, seems unnecessary. Fair enough. I, I'll give you that. Also, especially when you're, you know, trying to do your job, trying to write a story, I can see how that would, uh, would not be that much fun. No, right, and it's always about us, right? I'm going to dig in on this, on the softball and it always being about the media. Let's say, you know, Shai, you've, of course, been covering the Blue Jays for a long time. If you were to draft someone to be on a Blue Jays, like, media softball game, whether it's any of the reporters or the writers around the team, I, I have heard some, some good stuff about Keegan Matheson with a softball bat, but who do you think is going to be your first pick to be on your softball team out of the general Blue Jays media? So I think, uh, I think Keegan Matheson's got a good shot at being sort of burly slugger in the middle of your lineup. Oh, yeah. uh, but I'm going Ben, ben Nicholson-Smith okay. for uh, athlete, athleticism, uh, good wiry frame, uh, clean swing, big, big throwing arm. Uh, I think he can be a, a multi, multi-tool factor. Company man, we love that. Yeah, like that. Um, you know, Shai, before we let you go, a lot of different events coming up this week. You already sung the praises of the open air draft uh, on Twitter. Is there any one specific event, whether it's Vladdy tonight in the Derby or all the Blue Jays in the All-Star game that you're really looking forward to anticipating the most? I mean, I, I like the Derby. I've liked it, especially since uh, the change in format where it's the tournament system. I just think that's been a much cleaner format for the events where it just gives it a little bit of life. I found like the old system where you've got a certain number of outs and you're just swinging and swinging. Uh, the, that, that one seemed to drag a little bit, uh, but now you've got, uh, you've got the whole process a bit more contained and it's a bracket system. So that adds a little bit of element of excitement to it. 
I just think that they've turned that into a really good event. They're getting good players in it. Uh, obviously, Keith Alonso has been uh, a force in these events in recent years and somebody to, to watch in this one. Uh, Vladdy, if he's got anything like 2019 in him, then it's definitely going to be a show. So, uh, you know, I'm definitely looking forward to watching the Derby tonight. We are looking forward to your coverage, Shai. Thank you so much for joining us today and uh, have a great week staying in one place in Seattle. <laughs> Appreciate it, guys. Have a great week. That is Shai Davidi of Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca. We're here on Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Ben Schulman. She is Julia Kreutz. Julia, with the Home Run Derby coming up, mm-hmm. we do have one more notable home runner home runs in Blue Jays history. You want to get to it? Oh, absolutely, I do. For this, we travel back to late September 2003. Blue Jays' active pitching coach was a Blue Jays starter that day, Pete Walker on the mound, but the Blue Jays were looking for history at the plate. Carlos Delgado was on 299 home runs. Well, he did that, and he did a whole lot more on this day. Let's take a listen. Playing fly ball, deep center field. That's heading for Windows Restaurant, and yes, sir, let's admire that one. For Carlos Delgado, he has done it again. The fifth player in American League history to have four home runs in a game. Jerry Howarth on the call, courtesy of Sportsnet 590, the fan. And I believe I, I looked at this, and and it's a couple years old, but I don't think there's been a four homer game recently. I believe there's mm-hmm. 18 total four homer games ever uh sean green did it but not as a blue jay mm-hmm. but carlos delgado i mean well before jose bautista got all the lore for his bat flip the turn and toss amazing oh yeah amazing but when you hit four home runs i feel like the, that last one must feel really good and he absolutely tossed that bat it's uh it's really cool it is on youtube if uh if listeners want to take a look and, and sort of reminisce, we certainly did earlier today, Ben, and, and, and that's obviously part of the fun. The first, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, his first home run in that four-homer game was his 300th, yes. right, of his career. So yeah. that also adds to the, the the magnitude sort of of the moment here. And, and what a way to, you know, cap off that that milestone it's like i'm just gonna hit some more here so you guys always remember how and when this happened uh, pretty pretty cool and then the the bat toss absolutely wraps the whole thing together for me the blue jays were kind of out of it in the race at that point but these were not like your team's up 14 to 1 home runs he hit home runs that kept mattering in the game the blue jays won that game 10 to 8 and it was delgado's fourth that tied the game at 8-8 in the bottom of the eighth inning. Uh, Eric Hinsky would triple. They'd knock him in, and the Blue Jays ended up winning that game 10-8. But there, there's no probably, or there is not, no better single-game home run performance in Blue Jays history. There were a couple hat tricks from, right. I think, Edwin Encarnacion had one. Donaldson might have had one as well. But... It, four home runs in a game, you can't really beat that no. unless someone finds a way to hit five. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> It's we, we wait, of course, of course. We uh, especially with the automatic runner at, at second base and extra innings, it would uh, it would make for a cool story as well. But uh, that is, uh, it's got to go down as one of the most iconic home runs 
plural in, yeah. in, uh, in Blue Jays history here. Four of the most iconic home runs the Blue Jays have ever hit, and the home run derby coming up tonight should be a lot of fun. It was great doing the show with you today, Julia. We got the rest of the week coming up, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun as the All-Star break will roll in, and then we'll get ready for a very exciting series coming up. But happy birthday again. Thank you. Very much looking forward to uh, the rest of this week. This is always a lot of fun, and uh, happy to be here with you. Thank you to Jeff Azapardi, Lance Kennedy, and Jennifer Rolnick behind the scenes making this show run. And thank you for listening to Jay's Talk Plus today. We will have a lot more coming up over the next couple days. But enjoy your home run derby. Get your popcorn. Cheer for Vladdy. Maybe a shot there that he hits 92 I in will, one derby. I will um, get to get that bracket on Twitter. Yes. And I will uh, rub it in your face. Win $100,000 if you want to but, uh, while you're at it. <laughs> but you know what? If I'm wrong and you're right, I don't want to hear a peep about it. Okay. All I right? That's the uh, that's the, the deal. I can, I can chirp you. You can't chirp me. That's Julia Kreutz. I'm Ben Schulman. This has been Jay's Talk Plus on Sportsnet 360 and the Sportsnet Radio Network.